Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. Miranda Thorne, he's, a, uh, he's my mentor. He's also the overseer over our church. And he's a, he and we are part of uh, a whole group of churches all over and uh, impact churches. Michael Fletcher is the is lead and he's Randall's mentor. So uh, today we have a, a special privilege of hearing our overseer and my mentor, Randy Thornton. Amen. Been enough here, I just kind of feel like family here, so I, I can just get on and let's roll. Amen? Amen. So, hey guys, I am really excited. Uh, I think this is a good time. Uh, I'd like to see what God's doing here. <clears throat> you know, there's a, a special message that I believe God's given this church to this community is, is you know, again, you're one of the few multi-ethnic, multicultural churches in this community. Uh, you believe in the fil- fullness of the Holy Spirit, and you walk into this building, and you sense the presence of God. <clears throat> Every time I come here, uh, where's, I, get, I get prayed for, and buddy... You guys have some prayer warriors that know how to pray in the presence of God. Amen? You can feel it when you walk in. So, I am delighted. Again, I send greetings from the big town of Southern Pines, North Carolina. Uh, If anybody knows where that is. Um, So, right on the edge of Fort Bragg. So, we have a lot of military in our church as well. Uh, Several of uh, impact churches. uh, Part of our network of churches. We have several churches around Fort Bragg. Three or four of them are right around that area, uh, and we're planting churches uh, on most of the major military installations around the world, so that's part of what we're doing. Uh, you get to be a partner with that, so uh, we, we, we do a lot of kingdom work, so you're part of the family, amen? Amen. So I have a message today, um, and it's kind of a, a word for, uh, for, for, it's for us as an individual but it's also for us as a church uh, and how we apply this. And uh, the title of my message is What's in Your Hand? Uh, and the simple thing is this. Is the, what is common to us, what is what we've lived with most of our lives, we think is not that important. But if God asks us, will you use what I've given you for my purposes God says, I will take that which is common and use it mightily to change the world, to change your community, to change your neighborhood, to change your family. Again, I believe God speaks to his people all the time. And a lot of times God speaks to us, but it's acting on that word of the Lord. Uh, it's, it's not only, it's like this, we can read the word, and it's called Logos, it's the written word. But then there's times when we're reading the word, and we know that God is speaking to us uh, right through his word. You read the word, it's God's. It's not going to change. But there's times when you've read that same passage, but one day it jumps off off of the page. Or you're in a service like this, and you know that God put a spotlight on you and says, that's you, son, that's you, daughter, take this word. I believe many of us need to have the word of the Lord. That is, we know that God has spoken to us. Now, some of us, God's already spoken to us, but one, either we, we didn't think that we could do it, or that some, it was like God sometime in the future, 
And sometimes that is. But God says today. Today is the day when we need to begin to respond to what God's calling us to do. Amen? So, God's calling us to be a part of changing the world for His kingdom purposes. Um, In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, it says, um, God's intent was through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. Now, the word church, there's a couple places, a different way it's used. One, the word church is the word ecclesia, it's God's called out people. That's Christians everywhere, all around the world. And then there's also the local church. Most of the times in the New Testament when it calls about the church, it talks about the broad group of people. And it says the manifold wisdom of God is made known through his church. And Jesus calls the church his bride. And so there's an important relationship. So the hope of the world is not your, your political persuasion, if you're a Republican or you're a Democrat, or if you're for Trump or you're against Trump. That's not the hope of the world. All right, it's, it's not what organizations you belong to. It's not what school you attend or didn't attend. It's not what race you are. It's not what ethnic background you're from. The hope of the world is simply the message of the gospel, the church of Jesus Christ, that salvation comes through nothing alone but a trusting, faith-filled relationship with Jesus Christ. So the hope of the world is the group of the people that are sitting right here. And you're saying, God, we're just a, just a small church. We're not a large church. But guys, you are a church. And this is a core group of people. And we need to believe that God has a destiny for this church. But we also need to believe that God has a destiny for me. God has a destiny for you. And that God wants us to be responsible. All of us, how many of you know it sucks getting old? Right? I feel things that I, my shoulder's hurting, there's things, and it's like when you're young, you think you're invincible, but as you get a little bit older, you think that's never going to happen to you. How many of you know there's going to something happen to all of us? One day, all of us are going to die, right? One day, all of us are going to die, and there's going to be two questions posed for us on that day. By the way, I'm going to set my alarm. I love you guys enough to say that I can talk long. All right? So, um, there's going to be two questions asked of us. The first question we're going to be asked, because we're going to stand before God, is why should I let you into my heaven? All right? The wrong answer is I attended Cornerstone Community Church. Right? I was a good person. The right answer is, God, I was a sinner, and I trusted in what Christ did on the cross. Not my good works, not by being a good person, but simply by putting my faith in Christ alone and what he did on the cross. And God says, because of that, because you exchanged what you thought was your righteousness for my righteousness, my righteousness made you perfect in my sight. Come on in. All right? So the right answer is I trusted in Christ. The second question God's going to ask you is I gave you a call. I gave you a destiny. I gave you talent. I gave you time. What did you do with the life that I trusted you with? Now, I believe God speaks to us concerning his will. How many of you know God wants us to all know his will? But sometimes 
we hear what God's will is for our life, and we operate sometimes within little boundaries of I'm okay, but sometimes God calls us to break our comfort zone, step out of that which we are accustomed to, to become what he's called us to do. In fact, God's call, it says God's call are without repentance. What that means is you can walk away from God. What's the difference between the Holy Spirit and the Holy Ghost? The Holy Spirit is what comes in you when you're born again. And the Holy Ghost is when you walk away from God, He's going to haunt you until you come back. Amen? Now, guys, the gifts and call of God are without repentance. That means you can walk away from God, but His call, His destiny, you may have blown it. You may have done some things that you shouldn't have done. And you think, God, how could you ever use me? I mean, you know, God doesn't waste the shame and God doesn't waste the pain. If we'll take and turn back to the Lord and ask God to speak to us afresh, how many of you know God wants to restore us? God wants us to, to use the gifts that he's given us, not just to sit on a shelf. Now, sometimes there's times when we need to, to kind of get in, get healthy, because wounded people wound people, all right? There's a difference between going through tragedy and being broken and going through tragedy and being wounded. Wounded people wound people. But broken people are people who say, God, I don't know why this is happening, but I trust that you're in charge. I trust that you are faithful. God, I can't see why I lost that person or why I lost that job. But if we trust God and we say, God, I'm going to follow you and not walk away from you, I'm going to keep on keeping on, I mean, you know, God will take some of those most difficult times those difficult circumstances in our life, and he'll turn and he'll use them for his good, for his glory. It's part of the message, because one of the things that God will do is he has a gift and a call. It's like there's, if you had to choose the one word that's the message of your life, is it love? Is it, you know, bulldog? That's two words. They're tenacious, caring. What is the message that you're difficulties, your circumstances, the things that you've gone through have formed you because it's like God forms us and makes us for his kingdom purposes. What's that message and the call? So today's sermon is entitled, What's in Your Hand? It's, it's again, taking what, what we consider sometimes common. And when God asks us, will you use it for my kingdom? God will take that simple thing that is, seems like it's nothing and turn it into the extraordinary. I'm going, to kind of, I'm going to come back to my topic, but I want to talk about, for the church's purpose, Jeremiah 29, 6 and 7. The, the story here in Jeremiah 29, 6 and 7, the children of Israel had been warned of God and warned of God to follow God. They would follow God for a season, then they would fall back into Baal worship, into pagan worship, into uh, all kinds of detestable things, and then God would send correction, and then, then, the, then they would turn back to God. They'd turn back to God, then they'd fall away from God. They'd turn back to God. And finally God says, guys, I've sent warning after warning after warning after warning. I've sent prophets. You've killed the prophets. I've sent judges. You've killed judges. I'm bringing correction. So I'm going to send the Babylonians. You can try what you want, but it's time. It's like, how many of you have ever, how many of you had children? All right. There's a time when you, you put up with something, you put up with something, you say, okay, that's it. And how many of you know when it, that's it, it's that's it. We're going to the woodshed, right? I don't know what. So 
with the children of Israel, God says, guys, I love you enough to not let you get away with what you're doing anymore. You're going into a time of correction. So the Babylonians come in. They invade the cities, take the whole nation at large, uh, captive to a, a large part, not just the, the city of Jerusalem, but the, all, all kinds of cities. Uh, so they carried them off into Babylon. And what happened is they are, the, these people are now slaves. They're, they're carried into captivity. And uh, rather than moving down into the city where the people are, they kind of kept to themselves, separated. And God speaks through the prophet Jeremiah, says, Now I want you to stop what you're doing. Even though you're under judgment, you're still under my call. And I want you to go into the city, and I want you to read Jeremiah 29.7. Jeremiah 29.7, he says, Also seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. In other words, the people are going, God, these are our taskmasters. These are the slave owners, and you want us to speak blessings over them? You want for us to pray, God, for them to prosper? Lord, do you not know what they're doing to us? Guys, some of us are sometimes in difficult circumstances. How many of you know God's not just called this church to be a good little kumbaya fellowship? To have happy Jesus time every Sunday morning. God's called us to fill the city with Jesus. To make an eternal impact. And guys, unless we are set apart for God's purposes, but yet we're willing to go into the city and be the change agents. How many of you know this little church, this 100, 150 people that are a part of this congregation, if we come together united under one purpose, believing that God will do miracles, can impact this entire community. And guys, you, you also have something. This is your little town has the largest Christian university in the world. The future generations of leaders that will come to this community will come through the doors of this city. And God's placed you right here in this city to be a spark, to be an igniter, to be a part of, of the destiny of many a man and woman that walks through the doors of this community. You guys just need to wake up to see what God's call, God's destiny, not just for this church, but for you in this community. Because it's in those interactions, you being who God's called you to be, and doing what God's called you to be, you will see God use you and this church for eternal purposes. Amen. Can we get a hold of that message? The story is Moses. We all know the story of Moses. Most of you probably do. I'll kind of do a summary of it. Moses was a young man set apart from birth for God's purpose, rescued raised in the most advanced education known to mankind in his day. By the way, Moses wrote the first five books, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Okay? He was a well-educated, well-trained man to be the leader. He was trained to be a leader his whole entire life. Moses was rescued. He was a Jew. His, his life was saved. You know, um, kind of funny story is uh, we have a new believers class. Uh, and one time they said, well, what's your favorite Bible story? This is somebody who's 
brand new, off the streets, don't, has never been in church. He said, oh, my favorite Bible story is, you know, when they put Jesus in the basket and send him down the river. Well, God used him as a rescuer, but quite, the stories don't quite match. All right. So, but Moses was from birth set apart, raised in the house of Pharaoh, but yet he realized his call, the reason he was birthed, was to be a rescuer of the children of Israel who were in, in, in Egyptian captivity at that time. Moses, as he begins to understand his heritage, begins to understand his destiny, rises up and attempts to rescue an, uh, an Israelite from being by an Egyptian who misused him, and he ends up killing somebody. So now the Egyptians despise him, the Israelites despise him, and for 40 years he runs around the desert, walking away from the call and the destiny of God. What's the difference in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Ghost? The Holy Spirit's what comes in you when you are born again. What's the Holy Ghost? It's what's going to haunt you until you come back to where God's called you to be. Right? I wonder how many times Moses, the most educated man of his day, walked around the mountain of God. And God didn't call him, come up here, Moses, come up here, Moses. But Moses goes, God, how could you use me? I've killed a man. My, my Egyptian family hates me. My real Israelite family and the whole nation of Israel despises and hates me. God, who am I? Moses became a shepherd who took care of sheep when God had called him to be a shepherd of the nation of Israel to lead his people into freedom. Sometimes... We limit ourselves because we think that we're just a shepherd. We're just a bookkeeper. We're just a, a servant of the work system. Rather than seeing us as people set apart for God's purposes, we've become little in our own eyes. Like the children of Israel, when God told them to go into the promised land, they sent out 12 spies. Ten of them came back and says, there are giants in the land. Two of them came back and says, we can do it with God. Ten of them came back and says, we are grasshoppers in their eyes and our eyes. I wonder how many of us in this room today, we may have a good moral character, we may have we come to church, but we're missing part of the destiny of what God set us apart. We're not walking into all the destiny that God has for us. How many of you know God's always going to ask you to do something that is beyond your ability, your skill set, your education level? How many of you know God really doesn't care a rip? Remember Jeremiah? He was set apart as a young man. God says, I'm going to send you to the nations. He says, God, I can't speak. What did God say? I don't care. Go do it anyway. Remember what Moses did when he finally said, okay, he came up to the mountain. God said, Moses, take your sandals off. You're on holy ground. First thing he does, now Moses, let's get back to where you left off. I called you to be a redeemer and a rescuer for the nation of Israel. You've been walking around this stupid mountain for 40 years and my feet are getting tired. Now, Moses, go back. But God, I can't speak. 
but God. And God says, I don't care a rip. Go anyway. I wonder if many of us here have become so little in our own eyes that we stop living out our faith in the marketplace, living out our faith with our families. Stop being the person God's called us to be because we, like Moses, all have blown it in some capacity. Because if we really pulled the cover back, there's a little bit of Moses in all of us, isn't there? There's some failure. There's some disappointment. But if we'll turn it to God, the gifts and the call of God are without repentance. You can walk away from God, but he's never going to walk away from you. You want to see God start to move in your life? Ask God to speak to you again over the destiny of your life. That's number one. Number two, when he tells you to do something, don't say, but God. You say, Lord, it's got to be all you because I can't do it. Guys, that's a good place to be. Amen? When God asked Moses, and God called him, Exodus 4.2, God, God asked Moses to go back to reach the children of Israel. And Moses basically says, God, I can't. I don't know how. And God asked him, what's in your hand there? So let's read Exodus 4.2. Then the Lord said to him, what's in your hand? A staff, he replied. But a simple old stick. This staff, this simple stick that he had been shepherding sheep with, that he had been whacking sheep with, that he had been correcting sheep with, had become a tool. And guess what God took? He took what was ordinary in a man's hand. And when he turned what was ordinary, what was his livelihood, what was his skill set, and he turned it over to God. How many of you saw that God turned that stick into a symbol of authority? And God took the ordinary and he turned it into something extraordinary. And Moses God no, he, Moses asked for help to speak. He sent him Aaron. Then Aaron, all Aaron did, if you really want to do a little history search, all Aaron did was cause Moses a bunch of trouble. When Moses went up the mountain, he left Aaron in charge. And they made this calf and started worshiping other gods. It's like, ultimately, he tried to use Aaron to speak to Pharaoh, but Moses had to end up doing it anyway. So... Now, Aaron was good. I mean, but there's. But when God asks you to do something, don't try to get somebody else to do it for you. It just causes trouble, right? By the way, Brandy, you did a great job up here. I think you need to be doing that a whole lot. Amen? There's a whole lot of skill set there. You just need to cultivate that, girl. All right. She didn't like that, but I'll tell her anyway. What's in your hand, guys? We're going to talk about it. A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before kings. Moses' staff, which he he whacked sheep, smelly sheep with, that he held up his body as he walked up the mountain, is the symbol that, that God used to change a nation, to bring healing, to bring deliverance. Simply, you taking what you think is nothing, being faithful with it, and God turns it and uses it for his glory. Let's look at what Jesus did with the disciples. Again, 
What was Jesus? What was his occupation? He was a carpenter, right? So when Jesus preaches, many times he's talking about he who builds a solid foundation. When Jesus was with fishermen, what did he talk about? He talked about fishing. If, you, if he talked to a baker, how many bread illustrations? I am the bread. Jesus, whenever he was with people, he used what was common to them and connected with them where they were. If you're in the medical profession, if you're in the banking profession, if you're a mom, whatever it is, mom, a dad, whatever it is, God takes it and he uses what is common and he turns it into the extraordinary. If we'll take what is the ordinary and make it extraordinary and become great at it. Amen? Mark 1, 16, 17, as Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake. They were fishermen. This is when he had spent all night in prayer. He got a word from the Lord. What's the longest prayer that Jesus ever prayed? I just told you. The longest time that Jesus ever prayed for one specific thing is, God, I'm going to invest the next three years of my life. You have brought me here for the last 30 years to this moment. God, what are you calling me to do? And this was simply this, is to train 12 men, the 12, the 70, the 120, and then he was going to go home after the crucifixion. So the longest prayer Jesus prayed was who he was going to invest his life in. So for him, what was in his hand were a bunch of fishermen, ragtag, unacceptable by today's culture. He, He took the common... Just In fact, one place it says they were ordinary men. In the Greek, the word ordinary is idiotis. How many of you know the word idiots come from that? Jesus took just ordinary idiotis and turned them into the extraordinary men of God. But all of them failed, right? All of them walked away from Jesus on the night of the crucifixion. All of them, outside of the three Marys, they all abandoned ship, right? So... So God takes us the ordinary. He takes even our failures when we walk away from God, when we've blown it, and he'll turn it if we'll turn back to him. So what Jesus did is he looked at Simon Peter, he looked at Andrew, and he says, guys, if you'll come to me and take what you're used to, you're, you used, you, what, what's in your hands, Simon Peter, which is Peter? I'm a fisherman. I do fishing. Look at my hands. You can tell what I do. I'm going to take what you do, and I'm going to turn that which is ordinary, which is common to man, I'm going to turn it into extraordinary, and I'm going to use it for my kingdom advancement. <clears throat> Second Timothy 1.9 It is he who saved us and chose us for his holy work, not because we deserve it, because that was his plan long before the world began to show his love and his kindness through Christ. Now, guys, I'm going to tell you something. What's the biggest lie? If I was to ask you a question, what's probably the biggest lie that Satan has given the church in America, but even the church worldwide? If you were to come up, what is the biggest deception that the church has bitten into, the church ecclesia at large has bitten into, that has had devastating consequences? What would it be? What is it? Not worthy? Let me tell you. I'm going to help you because you're never going to guess it. You ready for it? That the pastor is the minister. 
Why is that one of the biggest deceptions? Because what's happened is that there are guys, men, women, who think that they're the minister and that everybody else are the sheep. That's not in the Bible. It's not anywhere in the Bible. In fact, if you can show me a verse, please do so. Let me tell you where, what I will tell you. In Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, this is what the Bible says. That God's called the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher, to equip what? The saints to do the work of the ministry. So what's happened, why I say it's the biggest lie, is because there are thousands and thousands and thousands of church churches where the pastor does all the marrying, all the burying, all the teaching, all the preaching, all the doing the facility maintenance, doing all the thing. And there's maybe a handful of people out doing ministry. Right? Two questions God's going to ask you when you die. Why should I let you into heaven? The right answer is because I trust in Christ alone for salvation. The second question God's going to ask you is what did you do with the gifts and the call that I gave you? Well, God, I attended Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia with Pastor Willie and his lovely wife, Minerva, and his daughter, Brandy, and the rest of the family. It was a great church. I gave some tithe. He says, what did you do with the destiny? Let me tell you two things. One, every member is a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every member is called by God to be a missionary. You know the first missionaries to Iceland? You know what they were? Anybody know any history of, you know what they were? There were two men who radically had screwed up in life, radically got saved in Jesus, and their career profession was digging graves. But these two men said, God, we don't have much to offer. We're not high on the totem pole here. But God, we do know how to dig a grave. And we do know how to tell people about what God's done in our life. If you'll go with us, we will go and dig graves in Iceland. And they became the first missionaries to venture out into a continent that no one else wanted to go to simply because they said yes. I want to ask you the question, what's in your hand? Is your job a place where you go to make money? Or maybe you're a housewife and you're a stay-at-home mom. Do you see where your life is? Is the future place of the next generation of world changers? I wonder if Billy Graham's mother saw herself rocking those kids, husband traveling all the time. Sometimes she's having to shed a, a, a shed. She'd have to take Willie or young Billy out to to remind him who was in charge. Did she realize that she would raise up a son who would lead more people to Christ than any man in known history? 
Do you know where, where you guys are? God is bringing some of the best and the brightest and the greatest potential right into your lap. And you're at work, and they're going to be, they're going to be working with you. They're going to be coming into this church, and they're going to be sitting beside you. But the thing is, it's not just them. It's you. See, God wants you to be faithful with what he's given you, not what he's given with somebody else. But what most of us do is we let the pastor do all the ministry. I'm going to challenge you guys. Guys, I want to challenge you to get involved. I want you to start praying. When you get up in the morning, God, I need to have devotions because I'm going to go out today and I'm going to go to work and I'm going to be with the world. And God, you've got to do a miracle. And who's the missionary? Everybody raise your hand. Who's the minister? The only Jesus some people are ever going to see is the Jesus that is in you. And you need to be set apart to such a degree that you live your life so extraordinary at work, in the home. The way you, it's like this. I remember when I was a supervisor for UPS, we went to this thing uh, where it was all, it was a, a training. It was all men. And one of the guys goes, hey, you know, they, they didn't know I was a pastor. They go, hey, uh, why don't we bring in a, one of those, in those cakes, one of those girls that pops up, you know, a strip tease, topless person. And the guy made the mistake of saying, does anybody have a problem with that? I do. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, and I can't be a part of that. And I'd recommend we not do that. And it was like crickets. When the guy goes, okay, all right, well, let's not do that then. You know what? After that meeting, three guys who I'd never met before came up and said, Randy, I am so glad. I'm a believer in Jesus. And I don't know if I could have stood to say, let's not do that. They would have defiled their conscience. Jeopardized their home. Had to live with that for the rest of their lives. I mean, you know, we're all called to be little Jesus in the marketplace. Amen? If it's an interior design, what do you do, Sam? In telecommunications. How many of you know there's a minister of Jesus Christ in telecommunications in Lynch? He's a fire-breathing dragon. Amen. Brother, what do you do? You. He's a water plant operator for Jesus. And if anybody comes onto his turf, God forbid that they, they're, they're going to hear about Jesus. Amen. God's, God's gift and call are without repentance. Guys, let's not use the excuse that Pastor Will is the minister. This church needs to double, quadruple. It's called to reach the city for Jesus. It's called to make an impact. When was the last time you invited somebody to church? Guys, it's the best method. First of all, you've got to live your life in such a way that people go, why are you different? Because if you're living, if you're living like the rest of the world and you say, let's come to church, they're going to go, who in the world do you think you are? If that's what it means to be like a Christian, I don't want anything to do with it. But if you're living every day and you get up and have devotions and you're praying for your water plant and you're praying for your telecommunications or your interior design or for your neighbors, 
in asking God to use you. How many of you know if you ask God to use you, he more than likely is going to do it? He's just been waiting for you to come up to the mountain and say, God, here's your man, here's your woman. Amen? God will take, if you have the ability to dig a grave, he will use it. First Corinthians seven twenty. Twenty one. Each of you should remain in the situation to which he has was in when God called him. If you're a slave when you were called, don't let it trouble you, although if you can gain your freedom, do so. In other words, if you're in a bad job, none of us are here slaves. We're just slaves to sin, right? Sin sometimes can cause us to be slaves. But sometimes he's saying, guys, when you got saved, you don't have to become something you're not. Stay where you are. If you have a chance to make more money, there's nothing wrong with that. But it's like this. What he was saying is, bloom where you're planted. Psalms 37 says, dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. It's like this. If you start living your life and you become the best you, doing the best job, when everybody else is doing half of a job, the best water plant operator in the world, it says a man's gift will bring him before kings. Why? Because you're faithful, you're dependable, you have the right attitude, you take initiative, you go the extra mile. You're you're not cursing, you're not cheating, you're not lying, you're not stealing. You're becoming a person set apart. Amen? How many missionaries do I have in this room? Everyone here. When was the last time you invited someone into a relationship with Jesus? 1 Corinthians 7.23 says, You have been bought and paid for by Christ, so you belong to Him. So I don't really care, Rip, what you think. Serve me. Amen? You're not your own. Colossians 3.23, and I'm going to close with that. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive your reward of inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Do your work hardly. Another, the NIV, that was the New American Standard. The NIV says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. So, be a person of passionate. Man, i got to dig the grave, God. But man, I'm going to lay that grave out. I'm going to dig it so straight. If the walls are falling in, I'm going to go. And when people see that you've done excellent, it says, a man's gift will make room for him. If you're humble, not arrogant, if, if you come across like, man, I'm the best grave digger, eh, you just lost it all. Does that make sense? But you're not, you're not toting your own horn. You're not look ever, but you know what? I promise you in life, the winners aren't the guys who, who, who tell everybody how good they are. It's the people who are good and everybody else sees it. And when there's a problem, they're going to go, I need someone whom I can trust. Amen? Somebody I know who's doing it right, who's dependable, that seems like nobody's noticed them but God notices. How many of you know that? What if God sent the next Billy Graham to work at your water plant? He's going to Liberty University, or she went to Liberty University. Right? What if God sent him into this church? Why don't we change our perspective?
Changing our perspective starts with who? Us. Who's the ministers? We are. Guys, I'm going to challenge this church. If this church is going to grow, we need to have a whole bunch of people doing ministry. Not five, not ten, not fifteen, not twenty. I want to challenge you to be a minister in the marketplace. I want to challenge you to be a minister here. Don't just be what I call fatheads. You know what fatheads are? I think I've mentioned this quite frequently. A fathead is this. A fathead is, let me tell you the story, and I will close. A fathead is this. A person who comes into church, listens to the sermon, writes it even some notes down, and goes, oh, he preached on I've heard that already. A fathead is just gains information, gains information, gains information, doesn't do anything with it. You want to stay hungry, finish the race well? Take what you hear from God. When that word that is in the middle of some sermon jumps off and you know that God's saying that's you then do something about it put some feet to it act upon it step out in faith knowing that God's trying to get you off of your seat because you're just filling your head with information that you're not doing anything with how many of you want to be fatheads no I'd rather take a little and live a lot than to have a lot and live a little Let's go out and be ministers of the gospel. Can I pray for you guys? Father, I believe you've set apart this church to be a part of changing the world. Father, I pray for every man in this room, every woman in this room, every young person. God, I pray that you would awaken afresh the destiny of what you've called them to be and called them to do. Lord, Moses was 80 years old when you brought him up to the mountain and you said, Moses, you think you're retiring, but I'm refiring. So, Father, I pray afresh today for the new vision. Lord, you would bring back the destiny of the call. I pray, God, that over the next month you would speak to this congregation about why you have placed them in this community, why you have placed them in this city. I speak blessings over them. I pray for every person here to begin to see themselves as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for supernatural divine opportunities to share Christ, to live out the gospel. Lord, and I pray that when people ask them, they'll be able to be prepared to say, because I've trusted... Thank you. (laughs) In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Siri wanted to know what I wanted to do. I want, well, you know what I want to do? I want to see this church changed because it's called to be a change agent to this community. Guys, I love you. I really do. Uh, you're in my heart. You're in my prayers. May God bless you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com Contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.